There you go. All right. Um, as Caleb already mentioned, today is Palm Sunday. We hope all of you got your Palm Sunday crosses. Um, and just as I was thinking about Palm Sunday and, and the, they also call it the triumphal entry of Jesus, I was thinking about the fact that um, it, was, it was probably, I think they said it was about a week before the cross um, that Jesus comes in to Jerusalem and he, he literally, they, he sends his disciples, they go get a donkey, he rides in on the donkey. People are laying down palm branches, they're laying down their cloaks, they're laying down their clothes um, as he rides through in this procession like a king. And it was, it's incredible to me that a week before he goes to the cross, people are recognizing him as king and celebrating him as king before he then goes and endures everything that he endured on the cross. Um, I know we've had a lot going on today, so we're going to try to to take this really important message that we have today and pare it down a little bit. Um, but we've actually been in the middle of, uh, we've been doing a series on the covenants. And a lot of it can be really teachy, but Cody and I really feel like it changed our perspective on God, um, specifically as we look at Jesus, and then we look at some of the Old Testament. I know I've asked you guys this a lot, but I know for many of us, we look at the God of the Old Testament, we look at the wars and some of the, the crazy curses and the things that happen, and we go like, how? Like, how is this the same God, right? And so for Cody and I, understanding the covenants, understanding the covenants that God made with different um, people throughout history really helped us to understand that so often, um, especially with the Mosaic Covenant, which covers most of the Old Testament, um, we spoke about how, like, for almost 3,000 years, Genesis um, covers about 3,000 years, and um, and then the rest of the Old Testament ends up only being about uh, 1,300 years. And so what happens when the law comes in? Things get real complicated, right? But the reality, and I'm going to really go through this quickly, so definitely go back if you're confused by any of this. Go back and, and listen to some of our other messages. But the re reality is the covenant that God actually enters into with people, they have a say in it. And especially with the Mosaic Covenant, the people had a chance to have a face-to-face -face relationship with God. He offers them a covenant that, um, that they're actually able to come in. And it's, he says, I'll make you a nation of priests. The priests were the ones who got to come into God's presence. And he says, I'll make you a whole nation of priests. And they get freaked out. They get scared. They say, that's too scary. You're too scary. So no, you talk to Moses. Give Moses the rules and we'll just follow them. So they actually choose this covenant that they enter into, and then unfortunately, they can never really keep up with it. And because they've entered into this covenant, God has to uphold the covenant that they've chosen. And that's a lot of what goes on. Um, so again, that's just a really quick covenant uh, recap. I want to just also remind you of the three different types of covenants that, they were, that there were back in this time, in the ancient times. The first one was the Grant Covenant. The more powerful uh, person or nation in a grant covenant will come to a less powerful person or nation, and they make an agreement, but the more powerful person or nation um, actually has all the obligation on them. So it might be like a larger nation comes and says, hey, I'm going to protect you, small nation. Or a more powerful person comes in and says, hey, I'll, I'll come protect you because, you know, maybe you need some protection or whatever it is. So that's the grant covenant where all the obligation is on the stronger party. 
The second one is the kinship, which is more kind of equal. Um, it's kind of like a marriage where we go in and we say, hey, there's obligation on both sides. We both hold up our end um, of the covenant. Or the third one, the vassal, which is what we see the Mosaic covenant um, downgraded to. The vassal is where the more powerful comes in and basically says, not I'll protect you and take care of you and all the obligation. Instead, they put all the obligation on the smaller, lesser, or weaker um, nation or party. And basically then it becomes like you're enslaved. You, you need to do what I say. That's not what God's heart was, but that's what ends up happening with, um, with Israel. And so we see how um, God continually, every time, if you notice, every time he offers them grant, every time. And, and it ends up getting downgraded. Um, Okay, today we're supposed to be actually finishing up and going into the covenant that is with Jesus, the ultimate best, better covenant ever, um, and the covenant that we are currently in. But we actually, Cody and I, as we're talking about it, we felt like there are pieces of the cross and what happened at the cross and how the cross is actually the covenant agreement that happens um, with us. And we felt like there are pieces of that that we can get really mixed up. And if we don't understand what exactly was happening at the cross, we can get a really skewed view of God as well. And so we're going to try to basically go into this whole idea of the atonement and how Jesus atoned for us and for our sins. Um, and so really what we believe is that, and I've, I've kind of talked about this before, but this is really the crux of it, is that we believe that at creation, Adam and Eve are given authority, right? They are like created by God. They walk with God. They have this amazing unbroken relationship face-to-face -face, walking with him. They're given authority over the whole earth, right? God says, go out. I want you to multiply and subdue the earth. Like they have authority over any evil, over anything, over the animals, over all creation. But when they choose, when the serpent comes in, they choose to believe the enemy, over what God has said, and by doing that, they basically hand the keys of their authority over to the devil in the garden. They hand those keys over, and from then on, we see that, that God starts this plan in motion. Actually, it says before the foundations of the earth, he has a plan in motion for Jesus. And so we see that Jesus then comes as, in the New Testament, he's called another Adam, he comes as another Adam. He, he is fully God, and yet he chooses to lay aside his divinity, his fully godness, and he steps to being fully man. And as he steps into that, he comes as this other Adam who is completely sin, sinless, and he is able to come and to win back the authority. Luke twenty two twenty nine 29 says, um, I, I have come to, to basically give you the kingdom that, the, that my father has given me. And then uh, he proclaims it to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 16, 19. Right? His intention, Jesus' intention is to take back the keys that Adam and Eve lost when they chose to believe the enemy instead of choosing to believe God. And, and Jesus comes and he says, I'm taking back those keys. I'm taking back that authority. And then we spoke about this last week. After the cross, he comes to his disciples and he goes, all authority in heaven and now on earth have been given to me. Go therefore. And he literally is handing.
giving us back the keys. I forget, it w- I think it was Zach said, like, like, we can make duplicates of these keys, right? Um, we don't lock our make doors in baby. the daytime. <laughs> uh, we don't lock our, our front door in, in the daytime. So, you know, anyone wants to rob us, it's between the hours of 8 and, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> We now we now uh, we now have made keys because we like lost all our keys and we never lock our doors until we accidentally locked Marshall and his kids out in the middle of the, the night a few weeks ago and he had to come sleep in the RV at the church so we're really sorry about that Marshall um, so since that we decided that we need to go and make duplicates of our keys and actually each have a key and lock our doors um, it's an important thing to do but I just thought about the fact that now it's super easy to go do that. Right, you just go, I think you go to Vons and you could just make a duplicate as long as it doesn't say don't duplicate, which ours doesn't. And God's doesn't say don't duplicate. <laughs> right? He says, like, go, oh, I've given you the keys, and these keys are duplicatable. Is that a word? Um, and so so important, but I think the problem is we we hear that and we go, Yes, 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 we understand that, we understand that, we understand that. That God has given us and Jesus came and He chose this and He chose to endure the cross and give us back our keys and give us back authority. And then He says, Go and advance the kingdom, right? Go bring heaven to earth. And we go, Yes, yes, yes. But many of us have actually believed the lie that that on the cross, what happened was that Jesus had to step in front of the super angry, wrathful father that he has who just needed punishment. Right? But a lot of us have believed that. We've been taught that. That God pours out his wrath on Jesus. What kind of a God is that, though? And as I search through scripture, and I encourage you to do the same, I don't see that. We do see the wrath of God, right? We see that, there, that God has wrath that is brought in. We're going to get into it more um, in a little bit. But God has wrath towards the law. Exodus 22 is where at first the uh, wrath of God is first seen. And there's actually the scripture, I think it's in Romans, that talks about how um, the law brings wrath. But that is actually not God's nature. God's nature was always for relationship. And so we start to see this as, you know, we start to get this idea of God the Father as so angry and wrathful and so mad at us and so mad at our sin that Jesus is like, chill out, Dad. Okay, I'm going to go stand in front of them. Okay, you just pour it out on me and then I'll protect them. And when we have that view, we are never going to truly embrace who God actually is. That is not his heart. And that's why I think it's so important that we go through the covenants and that we actually dive in and read scripture for what it is and not for what, I want to encourage you guys, don't ever take what we say as gospel truth. Go find it out for yourself. Because I think there's been a lot of distortions that have happened when people start to preach things and no one goes and checks it for themselves. And it's really important that we don't do that because we start to get this view where people have started to say that this is who God is, that he's so angry at us. But the truth is he's always wanted relationship with us. The word says that he knows our hearts and he knows why we do the things we do. It's so important that we hear that. 1 John 2, 2 says, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. 
And I want you guys to understand that actually, and Cody's going to get into it more, but actually what Jesus does, and you might have to go back and listen to the Abrahamic covenant, what Jesus does is he actually comes in as the sacrifice that confirms that this is a covenant. Yeah. It's an end to the old, and it is a new, he, he himself is establishing a new covenant that we all get to enter into with God. Yeah, it's, it's so much better than we think. Okay, so like Tersha said, this is a huge subject for like a little bitty time on Sunday. <laughs> so bear with us here. Um, whenever we're, we're talking like any sort of you know, atonement theory or like theology or doctrine or anything like that, where do we get it from? The Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's really, really, really important that as, we, as we're trying to understand what happened with the atonement, what happened at the cross, what happened with even the, the beating Jesus endured, everything he endured. Why? We have to understand it by looking at what? Scripture. Right. So there's this there's this this law, pretty much you could say, this rule. You need to interpret scripture with scripture. Right? We can't just come out of nowhere and just make up our own interpretation of something, our own understanding of something. We have to look back in Scripture. And the thing is, when you look back in the Old Testament, when you look at the Old Covenant, what you see is this. You see these things called types and shadows. Right? You see that there's pictures of Jesus and what he was about to do throughout all of the Old Testament. He's all over the place. Like, not only these three things we're going to talk about, but he's all over the place. Even Tertius said, at, in Genesis, it wasn't even the Old Covenant yet. In Genesis, it's prophesied that Jesus will come and he's going to clean up this mess. Right? Come on. I'm not sure if I can go there. <laughs> I'm not going to crack that one open today. Okay, so that one, yeah. Um, like Tersha said, there's a problem is we have this picture of God as this angry father, right? Has anybody experienced that? Has anybody, anybody? Yeah, and sometimes we could actually like we can, some of us had angry fathers. I didn't, but some of us had angry fathers and we could actually relate to that, right? Oh, yeah, God's angry. Yeah, my dad was angry. God's angry. Somebody needs to stand in the way. But the thing is this. Jesus paints a perfect picture. Firstly, Jesus is the full representation of the Father, right? The, the disciples ask, show us the Father, Jesus, and what does he say? He says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the perfect picture of the Father. But also this, he tells this, 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 this parable about the Father, this parable of the prodigal son, right? Does anybody recall that? This is where we should get our picture of the Father from. Right? Because the son, he totally disowns his father, dishonors his father. He runs, he, he, he takes his inheritance, he leaves, he squanders it. He does, I mean, probably every sin in the book, he just does everything wrong. Is his father sitting at home seething in anger? No, his father is waiting for him, looking for his son every single day. Right? And when he sees him far off, what does he do? He runs. He runs to him. And we don't even catch this. This is, this is so much bigger. I, mean, I, I shouldn't, probably shouldn't get into this, but it's, I'm so passionate about this. But the thing is this. We have to understand in Hebrew culture that when this son actually took this inheritance, it wasn't just taking from the father. It was taking from the whole household. So you have to imagine this whole household is like, that son of yours, he took everything. That son of yours did wrong not only to you but to us. Right? So the father has all, these, all this going on. Not only that, it's not a, a very, like, gentleman, Hebrew man-like to, to hike up his skirt and run to his son. 
We have to understand this. It's so much bigger than, than what we could even realize. Like, that is the Father. That on the cross, the Father and the Son were actually, the, the Trinity did not disassemble on the cross. Right? And we're going to get into that, I think. Oh, yeah. And as soon as the Son comes home, right? He doesn't, what does he say? The Son starts to, to like, like, repent. The Son's repenting, right? And what does the Father do? Bring the robe. He's royalty. Bring the robe. Kill the fatted calf. Put, put the sandals on his feet and give him the signet ring to do business in my name. That's a picture of the gospel, guys. Right? It do, you don't have to earn your way. It's all by grace. Right? As soon as we receive Jesus, it's like, that's it. Right? doesn't mean there's not stuff to work through, like stuff from your past, but you are completely forgiven. Amen. Forgiven. Yep. Right? He does not count our sins against us. That's the gospel. If... if if, we were, if he was counting sins against us, we'd still be in the old covenant. Yep. Come on. Anyways, where the heck was I? All right. So types and shadows. Okay. So we see three pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament, um, two in the old covenant. The first one is Abraham and Isaac, right? You see Abraham, he, he represents the father, right? And, and, this, and, and God the father is asking Abraham to do this because he's actually setting something up. He's actually putting it in the minds of Hebrew people like, this is going to happen. I am going to do this, right? Abraham brings his son Isaac. God actually implores Abraham. We talked about an Abrahamic covenant. It's not like a command. He's like, hey, would you do this for me? Would you sacrifice your son? We have to understand this was common in the time, right? And what do we see? Abraham brings his son by faith, knowing that even if he sacrificed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. And what happened? What happened with Jesus? God raised him from the dead. It's a picture of that. And what do what what we see is like this, this perfect picture of Jesus and the Father. <sighs> Next is the Passover lamb, right? When, when um, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, you know, Moses comes. This is the beginning of the Mosaic Covenant. This is the canon around the Mosaic Covenant. Um, we actually see um, Moses coming in, and Moses is telling Pharaoh, let my people go. We all know the story. The plagues come, right? What was the last plague? Angel of death was going to come through, kill every firstborn son. But what does God do? He gives the Israelites a way out. What was it? The blood of the lamb, right? You're to, you're to, to actually sacrifice a lamb for your family, and you're to put its blood over the post, and the angel of death will pass over you. And not only are you supposed to do that, but you're actually supposed to have a meal, a covenant meal. This was a, a shadow of what was to come. The Passover lamb was slain, and by his blood, death passes over. This is, this, is, this is what the early church preached. Death has been defeated. Death has been defeated. I'm going to fly through these. And the last one is the atonement lamb. This was uh, the system that was set up in the old covenant, the temple system, where once a year, the, the, the atonement lamb was taken, and the sins of all of Israel were put on this lamb. Right? The priest would come in, Aaron, Aaron the high priest would come in, he would sacrifice the lamb, right? He would take the blood and he would sprinkle it on the Ark of, Co Ark of the Covenant. And what's crazy here is we, we think that by doing this, like God loves the sacrifice. He just needs blood, right? That's what we feel sometimes, but that's not what's happening at all. What's actually happening is this this is an act of faith. This is an act of faith that God will forgive. You guys know that? Like God actually would forgive in the old covenant. 
right, because he's good, even though they didn't deserve it, right? Because like we talked about in the Mosaic Covenant, they were not holding the, up their end of the bargain. They were messing up left and right, and it was, a, it was a covenant of cursing and blessing. You do good, you'll be blessed. You, you don't do good, you're going to be cursed. But what happened is, at the end of the year, by faith, the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies, and he would ask for forgiveness, and God would forgive Right? And not only that, he would slay the lamb, he would, the, blood, he, the blood would pour, the forgiveness would come, but then they would actually eat the lamb as a covenant meal. Sit down with God and have a covenant meal. Right? And believe, have faith for that forgiveness. This is huge, guys. Colossians 2, 11 through 15. Are you going to read that? Okay. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Do you know your sinful nature was cut away when you received Jesus? For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your, your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And I love this picture, too, because Paul's actually talking about it was like a public spectacle like you would see in those times, right? When the conquered king, they would bring a conquered king and dragging naked behind a chariot. Like, ha-ha, look at this guy, right? And that's what he did to the devil. Come on. I just think that the whole idea of the atonement lamb is amazing, too, because when you think about it, one lamb is sacrificed for the entire nation of Israel. Like, do we really believe that everything that that entire nation had done for 365 days, all that is poured out onto one lamb, and that's enough? No, this was God saying, it wasn't saying, like, I need blood. It was him saying, this is, us, this is us entering into covenant where I'm going, I choose to forgive you all the sins of this last year, and together we're going to enter into this covenant where you say, once again, I'm committing myself to you, right? And then he says, and I commit myself to you, and I forgive you. And that is the whole picture here, is that um, the, the, it's, God is constantly coming and offering us forgiveness. Uh, okay, we're trying to, we're short on time, so we're trying to see what we can cut here. Um, okay, First John 5, 4 through 5 says this, For every child of God defeats this evil, evil world. You guys hear that? For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Right, that we actually have victory and we have to start living in that victory. That we are called children of God and with that we are given the ability to defeat evil and the enemy and push back the gates of hell. Romans 4, 13 through 15 says this. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Did you guys grab that? It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise, but it was through their faith. And then it says, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, then faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. 
Because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. See, God's wrath only came into play, like I said earlier, it only came into play when the law came. And then what we see is that Jesus comes in and he comes and he is the sacrificial lamb for us, but he is choosing to be the sacrificial lamb. He is the one, it's like we talked about um, with the grant covenant. There's, there's um, the one party, the grant, um, the, the, the more powerful party, and then the lesser, and then this whole, if you guys go back to the Abrahamic, there was this, the sacrifice, remember? There was the sacrifice that God actually walked through on behalf of Abraham. And Jesus, in this moment, he is God, but he chooses to become fully man to step into our place. So we're on our side. So let's say Cody is God the Father. And so Jesus comes in, and, and he steps in to the other side. And the covenant now becomes between father and son so that we can't mess it up. And Jesus not only stands on our side of the covenant, making this, com- this covenant with the father, but he also then steps in to the place of the sacrifice. And then he also steps into the place of the priest. He is the high priest, he is the sacrifice, and he is the covenant partner. He does it all. Why? Because he kind of learned his lesson that people will mess it up. (laughs) Just kidding. He didn't have to learn that lesson. He knew it. Like he knew it from the foundation of the earth. But he steps into all those places for us so that when we step into him, that is the mystery, right? That's the mystery that is talked about all throughout the New Testament is Christ in us and us in him. That we step in with him into this covenant and suddenly we're in this covenant with Father God that we cannot mess up. No matter what. Why? Because it's through Jesus, not through us. And we step in with him and through him. And so the wrath there that's talked about, it's like that wrath is not poured out on Jesus. Because even in the New Testament, you'll still hear about God talking about the wrath that's coming that's going to be poured out, right? But what I want you guys to understand is a lot of the new, the, the new Testament was written after the cross. It was all written down after these things had taken place. But how many of you guys have ever heard what happened at 70 AD? You know, I, I went through Bible school and I didn't learn about 70 AD. And, and the majority of the people in this room, it is a pivotal part Because what happened at 70 AD, so this is 40 years after the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. 40 years goes by. And what happens at 70 AD is that Jerusalem is invaded by Rome. And it's literally burned to the ground. Everything. Everything. They they said that even the gold was melted down. And what's significant about this is 40 years after Jesus... The entire system of the law was burned. They burned the priestly records. They burned the, the, Levi- the Levitical priesthood because the priests could only be part of the line of the tribe of Levi. Levi. And so that even that, they could no longer say who was in that priestly line because those were burned. The entire system of the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, all of that gone. All of it gone. They had to literally create an entirely new system in order to continue on the Mosaic covenant and law. 
They had to literally create, like, that, that's why the, the uh, rabbinical code came into play. Because literally, God came in, and at 70 AD, his wrath was poured out on the old covenant. And it was demolished. And it was gone. Hebrews 8.13 says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Why? Because when um, they wrote Hebrews, it was still coming. It was before 70 AD. But at 70 AD, it's all gone. And what is so amazing about that is a lot of people think that at the cross, the old was gone and the new came. But actually, God gave 40 years. In the Bible, 40 years is an entire generation. 40 years is considered a generation. You see the, the Israelites, they wander for, for 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because they needed a generation who was born into sla slavery. That generation who had a slave mentality had to die off before they could enter the promised land. We see 40 years, 40 years, it always means a generation. So God literally gave an entire generation the opportunity to say, this is the better covenant. A new covenant has been made, and I'm about to burn down the old one. Are you going to step in? Cody's going to share a little bit about that, but there are some fascinating things. If you actually go read, go read, I'm gonna not, not going to do it for you. Go read Matthew 24 in light of looking at 70 AD, and it makes a whole lot of sense. The things that they were telling were very practical. When the judgment comes... <laughs> When the Romans come and you see them coming over the mountain, this is what you should do. And at the time, it's fascinating, 1.2 million? <laughs> I think it was about 1.2 uh, million um, were, were killed that day, but not one Christian. Why? Because they knew the prophecies that were given in Matthew 24, and they ran to the hills, and they hid because they saw what was coming. I just find that so amazing, so fascinating. But this is the reality of our God that on the cross, Jesus takes on everything in order to, he is the sacrificial lamb in order to establish a new covenant that all of us can enter into. And then 40 years later, he burns down the old one. Do you guys know that there's actually, um, there's like societies that date different um, letters and books in the Bible after 70 AD because the prophecies were way too dang accurate? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's nuts. Like Tertia said, like the whole temple was demolished, right? And some of us are like, so some of us are waiting for a temple to be set up again. But the crazy thing is, why? We have the better covenant. Who's the temple now? Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Right inside, right? He's, he, wherever we walk is holy ground because we carry the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? Come on. Um, all right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to read uh, Matthew 23. Like Tertia said, go. You got to read this whole, whole thing in the light of what we just went over. Was it twenty three thirty five? Come on. All right. Okay, this is crazy. Okay, so like I said before, um, so when we had this this temp this this system of sacrifice set up, there was the Passover or not the pa the atonement lamb, and then has anybody heard of the scapegoat? Right. Yeah. So what the heck is the scapegoat? Okay. This is crazy. You guys ready for this? This is not. This is gonna probably like really like what the heck? Like might just. But it's in scripture, so I'll let you decide for yourself what you think of this. Um, so the scapegoat, after the, the the lamb was slain, the priest would actually take blood, and he would put the rest of the sins on the people on the scapegoat. 
And then what they would do is they would release it into the wild, assuming that some wild beast would eat it, right? They just let it go. They just let it go in the wilderness. So Jesus, he fulfills the type for the Passover. I keep saying the Passover lamb. Well, that too. But the atonement lamb, right? Jesus fills that type for the atonement lamb. He is the perfect spotless lamb that was sacrificed for our sin, right? For our cleansing, for everything. What about the scapegoat? He doesn't really fit that type. So where does the wrath go? I think it goes on the scapegoat. Okay, let's read this. Okay, check this out. I'm going to see if I need to go a little ahead to get some context here. Okay. Okay, I'm going to start in um, 31. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. Snakes, son of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law, but you will kill some by crucifixion, and you will flog others with whips in your, in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. As a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time, from the murder of righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth, this judgment will fall on this very generation. What do we say generation was? 40 years. So is he talking about a future generation? He's talking about that generation. Okay, so get this. Later in, uh, in one of the Gospels, you know, remember when Pilate says, I'm, I'm washing my hands of this, I want nothing to do with this. I don't think it was just like, a, like he, was, he was weak and spineless and didn't want to deal with it. I think that he actually had a sense of something like, this man is, there's something on this man and I don't want any part of his death. And then what did the people respond? Go and look this up in the Gospels yourself. And they actually proclaim that on themselves, like his blood will be on our hands. So who becomes the scapegoat? The old Jerusalem, the old covenant system becomes the scapegoat. The old covenant system is to take on the wrath of God. We see this, this these are the types in the shadows. You can look at it yourself, come up with your own. If you, like, look at this and, and bring it to Holy Spirit. So what actually happens in 70 A.D., the beast, who is Rome, like that's the, a, a Hebrew person's understanding of the beast would be Rome, comes and consumes the old covenant system and the temple and all that. Isn't that wild? Whoa. That's pretty heavy. Has anybody heard that before? Yeah. It's pretty wild. So I'm going to let you guys chew on that for a little bit. <laughs> Just as we close, as the worship team comes up here, um, after we've talked about, you know, the wrath and the beast and all these good <laughs> things, um, <laughs> I just want to encourage you, though, like this, like I, like Cody and I said, like this, this radically transformed the way we see God. Because suddenly we weren't looking at this God who was constantly disappointed in us. Because we read through, like, the Old Testament, and it's like, man, Israelites just keep messing it up. And sometimes I feel like I keep messing it up. Right? And so we can feel like, man, that same, like, all that stuff is on us. But I want to tell you today that you can live in hope and confidence because everything was poured out and this new covenant is what we live in. We live in this covenant where Jesus cannot mess it up. And you can, but then you just enter back into him.
right? You can choose to walk away and not enter into that covenant. But the moment that you choose to enter into that covenant with him, he and you and, and you in him, you are seen as the righteousness of Jesus. And it's not, again, it's not that Jesus is standing in front of you like, okay, you know, Cody really messed up today, God, so I'm going to just like, so you just see me, okay? He's going like, no, the righteousness is within Cody. It's within you. And everything that he's created you for, all the uniqueness that makes you who you are, he sees that too. He sees Jesus and the righteousness, but he also sees exactly who you were created to be. And I want to just encourage you in this, that you can be confident that God's wrath was poured out and now you live in the fullness of what Jesus did for us. And that should change our whole lives. And that should get all of us to put a microphone in our hands and walk around going, this is a good God. Like, I feel like the church is almost scared to bring people in because we're like, oh, what if they discover, like, how harsh God is, right? But it's like, no, this is, this is the God who from the very beginning of time started saying, I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you. And he had face-to-face -face encounters with Abraham, with Moses, with David, with all. And now he's going, you are my nation of priests. You are the ones who can enter boldly in. Enter boldly in. In, in Ephesians uh, 4, I think it is, it says you can enter boldly into the throne room of God. And so right now I encourage you, enter boldly in to the throne room of God and know who you are. Know whose you are. And know what he is accomplishing in this earth is something that everybody needs. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that even some of this really heady stuff, God, is all just pointing to the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. And it's, it's like beyond, beyond anything we could even imagine. It's so much more than we can even fathom. And God, we come humbly before you, God. We come with repentant hearts, wanting our minds to be renewed in the truth of what we have in you. And so, God, I pray for anybody in here, anybody in this room, anybody online who feels like this is too far off or they can't even fathom the kind of authority that they're being told they have. Right now, we just declare every lie is sent back to the pit of hell. Any lie that is telling you that that is not who you are. And right now, God, we just ask that you would bring the truth, that you would bring the boldness that you sent at Pentecost, that you would send the boldness over people to know that we actually, all of us, can live in the truth of the authority and the identity that you gave us. God, not because of who we are, but because of who you are, because you literally stood in every spot. You took every position in order that nothing could get in the way of us being in relationship with you. And Jesus, we step further and further into that relationship today. And we give you all of the praise because you are the one who did it all. We love you, Jesus. Amen.